Sales win rates have plummeted to a mere 17%, and outdated technology and tedious manual processes are to blame. Meanwhile, managers lack the visibility they need to hold their teams accountable. But imagine a world in which these crippling issues are solved automatically. Revenue.io automates the most frustrating parts of sales so reps can focus on what they do best, selling. Completely automate pre-call research, logging conversation data in your CRM, writing post-conversation recap emails, and prioritized outreach. And as reps book more meetings and close more deals, managers gain the real-time insight they need to scale what's working across their entire team. Ready to say goodbye to tedious sales processes and watch your win rate soar? Head over to Revenue.io to learn more. It's time to accelerate. Hey friends, this is Andy. Welcome to episode 602 of Accelerate, the sales podcast of record. Joining me on the show today as my guest is Bill Troy. Bill is the CEO of Civilis Marketing and the author of a new book titled Clicksand, How the Snake Oil Pitchmen of Online Marketing Suck You In and Ruin Your Business. Now, as you can tell from the title of the book, Bill is, yeah, he's not messing around. And he's going right after the people that overhype and overpromise and underdeliver in digital marketing. And so we're going to talk about why so much of the digital marketing is overhyped and sort of Sort of like we see these days with so much of these sales hacks that come out that make promises that can't possibly be delivered. Because the fact is, you know, in online marketing, as in sales, there's no replacement for executing the fundamentals, right? For doing the basics right and guaranteeing your success through hard work and execution of your, let's say, your fundamentals. And Bill is also going to make the case why even an online world, one-to-one selling, still has incredible value that too many companies are overlooking. So make sure you stay around. Join us for that. If you'd like to see the summary notes for this episode, go to andypaul.com forward slash 602. Now, before we get to the interview, I just want to share a few words about December because December is right around the corner. And actually, December is my favorite sales month of the year, if you will. Actually, my favorite month for prospecting. Now, I know everyone on social media and the blogosphere wants to offer you advice about how to close the year strong. Everybody's talking about closing orders in December, and, well, you can hardly argue with that sentiment. But the fact is, if you're at the beginning of December and you still haven't hit your number for the year, then you've got bigger problems to deal with, and ones will take up at a a later time. But for me, December is really for new business development. I mean, look at your pipeline for Q1. I mean, do you have the qualified prospects you need to hit your numbers for January, February, March? I mean, really, January should be taken care of. I mean, if you're at the beginning of December, let's say you've got a 90-day sales cycle, right? From point of initial contact to closing the order. Well, if you're beginning of December, do the math. You should have January and February pretty well locked down. But if you don't, you know, if you don't, if you still need to go out and develop some new prospects, this is the month to do it. And the reason being is that in my, I hate to say it, my decades of selling is, is, December's been the month when the customers are more available. People travel less between Thanksgiving and the end of the year. People stick closer to home. And so as a result, you know, decision makers are more readily available. Stakeholders you have to deal with are more readily available to talk with. And I've had great success moving some of my biggest deals, you know, worth tens of millions of dollars, moving them forward during the month of December because people are just more available. 
And also, I actually got some of my best jobs in December. I and mean, people used to always tell me, oh, that's so bad. You have to, you know, you're trying to find a job at the end of the year. I'm in a couple instances where, yeah, I was in transition at this last quarter of the year earlier in my career. And actually, no, it's just the opposite. And December was fantastic because, again, the hiring managers were available. Hiring managers knew what their budgets were going to be for January, February for adding new headcounts. So they were looking in this time frame. They were looking in the December time frame. It's really the ideal time to get out there if you're looking for a new gig and make yourself available. So December, to me, great time to jump at new opportunities. Make sure you're doing it both in new business and if you need a job, getting a job. All right. I'm excited to talk with Bill Troy as we talk about ClickSand. Bill, welcome to Accelerate. I'm ready to push the pedal down. Hey, whoa, whoa, look at that. I love it where people have their comments aligned with the theme of the show. There you go. That gets, that gets you an invite back. So that's very, Light very good. speed. Let's do it. Yeah. yeah. All right. Flattering the host is one of the most important criteria for selection of guests. And that, you won right there. Okay. All right. There I go. So just have a standard question I ask my guests at the beginning of the show, and that is, in your mind, what, what's the single biggest challenge facing sales reps today? You know, as you know, Andy, I come at this from the online marketing side of things. So, but I think online marketing has affected the way salespeople view their potential clients. And well, I think you've that, clearly been in sales. I, mean, I read your book. Uh, I mean, you, yeah, well, true. Yes. But I, you know, but I, I think that what's happened though is the mind trying shift. To, <laughs> you're trying to rebrand yourself as marketing. See, this is, you know. Well, I think there's actually some overlap these days. I think a lot of times we think about marketing, expecting it to bring in sales leads, right? It used to be marketing was about brand awareness or name recognition or something, but I, I think they really overlap a lot now. And I think in a way that's that's where I think the challenge comes in is that uh, the online marketing mindset, let's say, has infected salespeople in a way that's caused them to start thinking of their potential clients in an adversarial way. You know, we look at potential clients that we haven't met yet as someone that should be lured or tricked with a keyword or, a, you know, a email subject line. And that's how the relationship begins. And then, um, you know, even uh, as it starts to evolve, you know, they have to sort of prove themselves by downloading or clicking or giving us some information before we start to give them anything. And that whole sort of mindset, I think, that came, comes out of the online marketing approach where you're treating people very anonymous in the beginning, just sets you up for the wrong path um, from a sales perspective when you want to build a relationship going forward. So I think that just mindset is a challenge for sales in general these days. Yeah, well, and that's going to lead into our, our, our broader discussion for sure. Yeah. <laughs> because uh, you've written a book, which is going to be published, I think, soon after this, this airs. And I really enjoyed it. I, first of all, a very clever title. It's called Click ClickSand, just so people understand. ClickSand, how snake oil pitchmen of online marketing suck you in and ruin your business. Now, first of all, I got to <laughs> tell you, you got to stop learning to beat around the bush like that. Um, <laughs> I yeah, I, I, I've got to learn to you know take a po- take a stand on right, something. Right, come on, say you know? exactly yeah. what you mean. <laughs> so, yeah, very very clever title, but the book is really good as well. I mean, and it's and we'll get into sort of some of the the big themes, but I think it served. Yeah plays back on what you were just talking about. For me, the, the major thesis was is that that or what I took away is that you know the behaviors that we exhibit through the online marketing and selling are not beha- or that we're encouraged to ad- adopt, let's say, yeah. typically, yeah. don't align and comport with who we are individually and personally and what we would do if we're selling to someone one-on-one. 
without that influence. And yes. and yep. so this it's this this disconnect that you really talk about that that I think is you know so was fascinating. I'm glad I'm really glad you wrote the book and brought that up because it's it's absolutely true. And we'll dig dig more into it. But it's that's sort of what you talked about before is is the challenge for reps is that they they come out with the attitude that selling is something. And I talk about this in my my second book is you know selling is not something you do to someone it's something you yeah. do with someone yeah and yeah we're encouraging people to continue to look at selling as buyers as the object of something we do to them as opposed to something we do with them you know and i think even just in a a big picture metaphysical sense that we're starting with a without the optimism, you know, years ago when I was on the road selling a lot, I had optimism. Every time I went in to visit a prospective client, I was excited and positive and felt like this is going to be the beginning of something great. And I, I just don't feel like that's there these days. And it's become more, I don't know if it's jaded or just kind of, you know, transactional and we're just, uh, so yeah, I think there's just an attitude. Yeah. Well, I think that that attitude that sales is a zero sum game. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's certainly certainly some companies that adopt that, and certainly not all, but I mean, some that, you know, I win, you lose, even though you're getting something supposedly of value. But, (laughs) you know, we look at the sales process as a zero sum game. Yeah. Um, Well, I love that that, that, uh, up front of the book, you invoke Eisenhower's warning about the upcoming and the rise (laughs) of the military industrial complex. And equating that to what's sort of this, you know, online digital marketing complex, excuse me, that, that, that has arisen because in the same sense that Eisenhower was concerned about about the military industrial complex taking on a life of its own and leading us into you know military action and wars in order to justify their own existence is we see perhaps something similar happening on the online marketing world yeah i mean in some ways i wrestled with whether that was an apt analogy because you know certainly war is much more uh you know much heavier topic than uh, online marketing but the idea that the industrial companies that are producing the product whatever that product is start to have their own incentive for selling more of it at all cost is really the the idea and i I just want to call that out because I think we've all, you know, considered that possibility in the arms world. We've considered that possibility in the in the food world. You know, fast food companies are in the business of selling more and more fast food all the time. And we know that there's extra salt and sugar in there to try to get us to buy more that isn't always good for us. But I don't think anybody's really ever said this yet about companies like HubSpot or Facebook or Google and say, you know, they're just in the business of selling more of this. And so you have to, as a buyer of it, really start to think about whether it's right for you and not just take their word for it and not just say, well, everybody's doing it. I guess I'll buy more too. You really have to start thinking about whether it's really right for you. Yeah, be a, a discriminating consumer. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, what a shocking notion, right? <laughs> I mean, seriously, when it comes to yeah. social media and so on, is, is yeah, I, I have yet, other than you know, yourself and some pundits that I've you know read online yeah. and so on so people saying yeah yeah are we really thinking about how we're using this and and why we're using it and to the extent that we're using it and yeah I'd, I'd sort of you know Facebook um yeah you know, just a revelation about you know how willingly they were selling ads mm. to yeah. Russian cutouts or <laughs> that they knew they knew right right they knew what they were buying these ads for, which is basically to try to disrupt our our democratic processes. Yeah, and yet there's has there been a big pushback about it? 
I mean, look at Uber, yeah. what happened. You know, the board was driven to take action because people were taking the app off their phone because people were disgusted by the behaviors that was being reported about. Right. Who's taking Facebook off their phone? Yeah, good point. It's it's a powerful force and uh, it's hard to go against. But, I, I, you know, the other thing, too, is that um, what I question a lot, and you talked about this, uh, talked about the book, I question a lot the assumptions even built in about what's even good and bad about online marketing. And, you know, um, one of the things that we all forget is that the reports and dashboards that we're using, if we're doing online marketing, are reports and dashboards that were built by the people who want to sell more of this. So guess what kind of behaviors are encouraged in those reports, <laughs> right? <laughs> Sending more messages, posting more ads, trying to get more people to click and more people to open and more people to download. And we don't ever even consider whether those really are the things we should be measuring because, well, there it is. It's a green arrow. It points up. And so those are the kinds of things we've just gotten so comfortable just accepting. Wait a minute. The person that built that has an agenda. So that's well, there's that, a lot that, of that. Right. And that, oh, that speaks to all the sort of you know, cautionary tales, if you will, about um, big data in general, right? As is because yeah. big data, the use, our, our use of big data is driven by algorithms. Yeah, and the algorithms aren't spontaneously generated by the machines; they're generated by people and written by people that had a point of view, right? And, and, and a goal, to, and a goal to make, the, make right. money, right? And so, I mean, there's a book that was written a couple years ago called "Weapons of Math Destruction" mm -hmm. by a woman named Kathy O'Neill. Great book; people should pick it up and read it because it it is sort of, and she's not a you know, a chicken little hey, the sky is falling. She's a data scientist. She's she's worked as a quant on Wall Street. She's you know, this is her her livelihood. But she does invoke this idea that, yeah, we get we involved with these big systems with big data and we presume that the algorithms are working to the ultimate good. But yeah, they're they're not. They have biases built into them just because people started them. Absolutely. And then sometimes it's it's not even an algorithm. I mean, sometimes it's just, you know, we just figure it's better to get a better open rate on our email. And you have to actually start, in my mind, questioning that at the very beginning to say, is that a good thing? Because because if 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 you take that as just a base assumption that you're going to build your business on, then whatever you do to get an open rate, a better open rate is a good thing. And that's where you start going down the path of starting to trick people. And all, and all of a sudden, wait a minute, maybe the whole premise of that was wrong. And so, yeah, it's it's scary if you don't really question it. Yeah, well, I, I, again, I, I, for me, is one of the takeaways was is that, yeah, we would indulge in behaviors and online marketing and attempt to engage somebody's interest and build a relationship with them that we would not do if we were doing it face-to-face. -face. Yeah. Oh, yeah, just absolutely not. It's, it's really interesting because it, if you... Yeah, you just completely act differently. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that there's anonymity. You don't really see the person on the other end. Um, but um, but yeah, like I said, I think a lot of it's personal too. I mean, I, I mentioned email open rate a second ago, for example. But let's say you have a 30% open rate on your email. Um, well, you focus on the 30 and you never focus on the 70% who didn't like it. And even the smaller percentage of that that, you know, Cussed you, cursed your name uh, out loud when when you tricked them into opening something they hated. If you were in person, you'd see that seventy percent of people didn't like what you were saying, and you would change it right away. But you don't get that negative feedback. You just kind of get whatever the dashboard says. So we we're just used to seeing things in person, and we're not used to uh, you know going without that feedback to tell us we're off track. Yeah. yeah. Well, so so um, tell us a little bit about the the snake oil reference because there might be some people in the audience that 
aren't familiar with, <laughs> they might have heard the phrase snake oil salesperson, but maybe not understood exactly what it means. Sure. So snake oil was a real product invented by a real guy. Um, Clark Stanley was his name, and he um, showed up at the World's Fair in 1893 in Chicago and set up a booth. Like, you know, we all go to the fair and we see these folks set up a booth and he set one up. And um, so so there was a a rumor from the western part of North America, which um, when they were building the uh, railroads across the country, that Chinese laborers came in to work on the railroads and they had a liniment that they rubbed on them that was made from the Chinese water snake. And they claimed that it helped with their sore muscles. And so there was this kind of rumor that maybe some sort of snake liniment would help with sore muscles after a hard, hard day of work. And so Clark, uh, decided to capitalize on that rumor and created his own product. He brought a bag of rattlesnakes into the World's Fair and set up a big boiling vat of water and he would cut a, uh, open the bag, cut up a snake and put it in the water and <laughs> boil it and all kinds of oils would come to the top and he would like mix up a batch right there on the spot and people just bought it up and it was so new and interesting and uh, and crazy that they, they gave it a try and he built a whole business on this and there was nothing in that product at all that really had any medicinal value but it was so dramatically different and people were so desperate to get a cure for whatever you know pain they were dealing with and in those days you know you'd you could have arthritis or toothache or something and it could literally ruin your life because the pain would never go away right and unlike today so um so he literally created a, a business a multi-million dollar business with factories uh, in a couple of different states in the east coast Coast, selling snake oil until finally the government said, wait a minute, what's in this? And they did a little testing and found that there was no snake oil in it and they shut him down. But that's where the original snake oil came from. And Not that it would have made a difference if there were snake oil. But, well, yeah. right. It's ironic. He really just got in trouble for, for uh, you know, deceptive labor. Right, right. Yeah, right. right. Um, so that, you know, is a term we use to this day to represent, you know, a product that is sold and, uh, you know, not really good for the people that it's, that are buying it and just good for the folks who are selling it. And, um, it's, it's a fun story that, that I thought, you know, this sounds a lot like, like his presentation at the world fair sounds a lot like online marketing presentations I go to where it's a dramatic thing. And they're, you know, people just buy it up on the spot and everybody I'm looking around going, uh, is anybody questioning what, what he's doing here? I guess not. So, yeah. Well, so let's give some examples. I mean, you you talk about in the book is you know people promising outrageous sales growth. Hey, ten x your business. You know that's a common one that lots of people use. Uh, you know, grow your subscribers fifty percent overnight. Blah 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 blah. Yeah, it's just all you know. It's all the business version of get rich quick or you know to, to eat, uh, take a pill and and lose twenty pounds without having to exercise. It's that same sort of promise of the impossible, and. Um, yet we fall for it in this particular case. Uh, it happens every single day. And and uh, I had a guy call the other day who was uh, in an industrial factory uh, environment. He sold um, big air processing systems for factories. And I said, well, gosh, that sounds pretty interesting. How, how big is your typical sale? He said, well, our typical sale is about a million dollars. And he said, um, what I want to do is I want to buy some online ads. I'm like, you do? <laughs> I'm like, you think that whoever is specking out you know, a Honda factory is Googling, hoping to find their process? Okay. So he said, well, I, I have about $1,000 a month I want to spend on the ads. And I said, you do? I said, How, what do you expect to get from that? You know? And he said, well, I need to add two more leads a, a month to our pipeline to get uh, two more closes a month. I said, well, hold on. You really think you're going to spend $1,000 in online ads and you're going to send spend, uh, sorry, you're going to sell $2 million worth of air processing equipment to factories across the country or around the world with, with that sort of investment? And he did. He thought that. So 
people are just believing the impossible. There's just no way you just run $1,000 worth of ads and sell $2 million of the product. But we hear these kinds of stories all the time as anecdotes. And it's just like, you know, in Clark Stanley's day, somebody saying, I rubbed this on my elbow and my toothache went away. It's magical and gets people to buy more. It's just a... Well, but it's we've never really imp- outgrown that, though, right? I mean, no, you, you it, turn, you turn on TV, right, and yeah. we've got all these diet ads and, yeah. and, you know, diet supplements and so on and so forth that all, you know, come with the disclaimer that, you know, not FDA approved uh, for this purpose, blah, 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 blah. Yet, well, people, you know, continue to buy from snake oil salespeople. I mean, is it is it the lure of the quick fix or is yeah. it… I mean, I sometimes well, wonder in business, though, part of it is, especially in the digital marketing these days, is it sort of like this gentleman… I think he was coming to you because somebody had told him he needs to be doing that. Yeah. And he felt like you know, he was suffering sort of the fear of missing out if he wasn't doing it. And so it seems like that's why a lot of people seem to be, to me, at least be so susceptible because everybody thinks they should do it and they think that it's not learnable for themselves. Oh, gosh, yeah. So like a third of the book um, is about the, all the different ways, all the things that are happening in society and even in our own brains to cause this particular snake oil pitch um, to actually work really well right now. And I think we're in a, a transient time in history where, you know, 10, 20 years from now, we'll look back at this era and say, remember when everybody just bought this online marketing stuff and just thought it was going to be a magic pill? And we all will be jaded um, in those days, like we are now about diet pills. I mean, I think they still make money selling diet pills, but generally, most people know, all right, you really can't buy a diet pill and just, you know, lose weight overnight and, and get a six pack you know, of abs, you know, with it while you sleep. Um, I think we're going to start to feel that way. And I feel like I'm just on the cutting edge of trying to call that out probably like someone did about diet pills, uh, you know, 50 years ago or snake oil a hundred years ago. And there are just a lot of things happening right now where business owners are, like you said, FOMO is one of those fear of missing out. They feel like everyone is doing it. If they don't, they're going to be left behind. They're being told that, you know, this is the new wave. And if you don't get on board, you're going to be left, you know, in the dust of history. And they also see their competitors doing it. And they see that some companies are making a lot of money. Certainly Facebook and Google are making lots of money online. So it seems like online is good for stuff. So there are a lot of things that are happening that are kind of, I think, uh, helping this pitch along in a way that won't always happen. And I'm just trying to call those things out and say, look, we got to put this back where it really goes and say it can work for some things, but it isn't a cure for everything. Well, and just so again to reiterate for listeners, many of those that didn't hear the introduction, is is this is the business you're in? Yes, um, and I just saw. It's funny because I just was witnessing this so many times. We would sit down with potential clients, and they would tell us what they were doing, and I just say, oh my God, I can't believe, well, A, I wouldn't say this to them, but I couldn't believe they fell for it. And B, I just got started getting so mad that so many of my peers in the marketing world were selling these kinds of things. Because I know, I pay, you and I both know that even though I did not sell that guy $1,000 worth of AdWords and, and tell him he's going to get $2 million, someone else did. And I'm sure he's spending his $1,000 right now on AdWords mm-hmm. and he's not getting those leads, but someone sold it to him. And so I just finally said, okay, someone's got to stand up and say, this just isn't right. And um, you just can't believe all these pitches you're getting. And yeah, just call it out. Yeah. Well, and yeah. <laughs> you, you cite one of my favorite examples about uh, if you're in a presentation with a, a marketing agency and and or you're in a you know public event and there's somebody from a doing a sales pitch from the stage yeah and they say yeah i've got so much to present i just don't have time to cover it all so i'm gonna go real fast <laughs> and and i just started laughing because you know that's not relegated to 
you know, pitchmen for online marketing products. I mean, sales reps do this all the time too. It's yeah. like, I've got so much well, to cover. I'm gonna late night TV pitchmen, right? But wait, there's more, but wait, there's more. It, yeah. It's the same sort of energy. Well, okay. So let's take that example is, is, yeah. but wait, there's more. I mean, there's books and books and books and websites and websites yeah. dedicated to sales letters that basically are based on that whole, that whole technique. Yeah. It's, it's a technique that can work. Um, but, um, I think you just have to look at, I mean, there, there are lots of techniques that work certainly, right? Billboards work and sales letters work and, uh, you know, it's, but it's a matter of not just what's happening. I think with online marketing is that people are starting with the tool. We need to be online. We need to get some AdWords, and, and then they're justifying it. They're they're finding someone to sell it to them, and they're justifying why they need to do it. It's like starting with the tool before you start and know what your project is going to be. I need a hammer. I got to do some of that hammer stuff. Mm-hmm. And so then you start going around looking for nails to hit, and that's what happens with online marketing. If you go through an analysis of your business, and your business is driven by traffic and driven by transactions that are more anonymous and less personal and less you know less intimate and all those sorts of things, then it may turn out that this is the way to go. And Online marketing is appropriate for some businesses, but the problem I have is that online marketers will tell you it's appropriate for every business. And no matter who you talk to, you talk to somebody who, you talk to LinkedIn, or you talk to someone who's an SEO expert, they will all tell you they have an answer for your business. They all say it works for everyone. And that's the problem. It just, it doesn't. And I don't know if you, if you, if you notice this, one of the anecdotes I talk about in the book, and this is the ultimate one for me, is that. There are a lot of online marketing folks out there who believe it passionately and they've kind of drunk the Kool-Aid and they really do believe it works and, and they're really trying to help people even though they may not be. They're still, you know, good hearted. But there are a lot of folks in the industry who absolutely know better. And the proof of that, as I talk about in the book, is that most people buy online marketing from someone in person. So online marketers know that they can't even sell online marketing with online marketing. They have to go to networking groups and those in-person presentations we just talked about, and they sell it one-to-one, person-to-person, and because they know relationships are how you sell stuff, yet they go and tell the company that buys it from them, ah, you don't need a relationship, you just need the right keyword. And so that's the thing for me, is they know better. Yeah, well, and right. And you you talk about this disconnect that happens between... Yeah. You have your funnel, which is you know scripted. You you know you have your sequence. Let's say your autoresponder sequence that you put together. Of, you know five yeah. emails are going to go once somebody enters your funnel, and and you compare it interestingly to a situation that happens in sales all the time, which is that in one of your responses you ask a question, but the question's set up in such a way to really respond to a specific answer, right? Right. And what if you don't get that answer? Yeah. The, then the rest of your sequence doesn't really make sense. And when we see this in sales these days, is more and more companies sort of rush into doing inside sales. You know, a lot of times, especially in the newer cases, is you know, their reps are really heavily scripted. And and they're going to ask the three or five questions on the list, come hell or high water, right. irrespective <laughs> of what the customer says. Right. Yeah, I, we get those all the time. I mean, I, you know, I say, oh, no, thanks. I'm not interested. Well, but would you like it if I could save you 20% on Yeah. No, still not interested. <laughs> but at least there's a person there uh, doing that one, you know, much less when I get an email. You know, I, I just, and this happens to us all every day, but I just li- literally last week with a, I had a coffee with a sales consultant. I mean, this is someone that teaches people to sell, and he, he works for a large national company that you and I would know and everybody would know if I mentioned it. And we had coffee. We talked about how he was growing his business, and you know, he shared a lot of the same uh, views I did on things. And literally the next day, I got an email from him 
that was obviously an automated email from some drip marketing campaign he has asking me if I'd like to have coffee for 15 minutes and talk about my business. <laughs> I, it's like, are you kidding me? This is a sales consultant. Right, right. <laughs> so it, it's just crazy what people have been talked into. And um, he doesn't obviously know or he isn't paying attention or I don't even know yeah, what to happens. What a, to but, what a sequence says. I mean, that's, uh, that's, that's right. the crime, right? Yeah. So that's why like, I'm writing a book, which is I got to start slapping people. Wake up. Look at what you're even doing here. So it's yeah. crazy. Well, and your book sort of accomplishes that. So, yeah. so yeah, you make the case for yeah. what not to do. So then what should people be doing? Well, so what you need to do is, and it's different for every business, so there's not one, uh, unfortunately, unlike, uh, you know, online marketing, there isn't one snappy answer for everyone, except that what I would say is you need to build your marketing and sales process around what your prospect needs in order to buy from you. And where we, um, so at Civilis Marketing, which is the company that I run, that, where I wrote the book, um, where, where we focus is where those relationships are necessary to get a deal done, especially when there's a relationship that needs to exist before there's potential for a sale. I think this is a big disconnect in the sales world is that a lot of companies have selling processes. They know how to ask the right questions to, to get the client's needs discovered, and then they can make a proposal or an assessment or whatever. But they don't have a process for working with people that aren't ready to buy now. And so we help them start thinking about what is the process for the relationship that has to exist before the sale is potentially uh, possible. And so you might need to be establishing trust. They might need to know that you're going to be here and you're trustworthy before they would ever even consider letting you um, try to sell them something. So that's really what I think you need to do is figure out what has to happen for your buyer and then make sure you're accomplishing those things. And it may be that that's, that's a lot of times where the online marketing or even just selling, selling, selling doesn't really work. So that's universal for every company is understanding the life of their buyer. Well, and I think also you, you get into is, is that you know, one of the things, reasons we use online marketing is it's, it's a way to do sort of one-to-many communications. But the fact yeah. is, is that to make it work, it still has to be a one-to-one model. Yes. Yes, exactly. That person on the other end is a, is a human being and they have their own needs. And the more their needs are different from the other people that are buying from you, you know, if everyone has the same need, if we're all wanting to go have a hamburger, okay, well, maybe the same message works for all of us. But if you start to have very particular needs for each buyer, and so that's when you have a longer selling cycle, a much bigger sale, more, where the more, buyers take a bigger risk. Yeah, more complex. Yeah, right, more complex. Yeah, right. right. Uh, a strategic selling type type of situation, then you just you can't do that. You can't do least common denominator stuff. It just will won't succeed. In fact, that's the whole premise of the book is that it not only will it not succeed, it'll actually damage your business because you'll blow those people off versus doing nothing that's neutral. Right. So, but we have you know broad swaths of of <laughs> of companies in certain industries, specifically. Uh, you know, industries that rely a lot on inside sales, certain parts of the tech business and so on, software as a service, that you know, are, are really relying on a lot of these techniques that you talk about in terms of yeah. generating, generating initial interest to try to generate a conversation that starts, starts that one-on-one relationship. And um, yeah, it's not really working. I mean, well, you do it yeah. enough, and it's like any of these behaviors, you do it enough... There is a certain, there's always a certain success rate, right? But, but arguably, and, and more and more people are, are talking about this, is that success rate is, is really low compared to what it could be. Oh, absolutely. And I think a lot of times um, the success rate 
is also sort of tweaked to make it look better. I mean, what, what we find is you, you get a lot of leads, but they're not exactly the kind of leads you wish you had. We, I just met with another business owner the other day who was talking. I, I said, well, you know, we stratify your customers. He's got, you know, um, you know, small rabbit customers. He's got some mid-sized gazelle customers and large elephants. And I said, what do you want? He said, well, I really want the larger ones, but I'm thinking if we just do this online thing, we get a lot of rabbits. <laughs> so what I see a lot of times is that businesses start to actually change their business model to try to fit what they can get through that pipeline. And so they start going after smaller and smaller businesses, trying to make it up in volume. And it's just kind of a, it's just a path that doesn't really work. And even if you get them, they're not really, uh, it's not really no, what you need it, to do. No, it doesn't end well. I mean, especially if they're yeah. already servicing large accounts is, you know, yeah. basic business logic would say, if we're doing this successfully <laughs> and we're probably making more money on this, why don't we do more of this as opposed to, yeah, yeah maybe hard, but let's do the hard stuff. I think, too, another good you know rule of thumb is to think about how much you want the client to invest in you and make sure you're investing that or more in them. You know, if you're wanting them to make some sort of change that's a multi-year change, a long-term relationship change, something that's risking their career if it goes wrong, I mean, that's a big decision for them to make, whether that's software or factory automation equipment or, you know, whatever, insurance, I mean, whatever it is. And if you're wanting them to take that sort of risk and invest that much in you, you have to invest that much in them as well. And I think that's the issue is that we're not thinking about it that way. We're thinking, I, I get it. It's got an email newsletter last week and I was joking about it that where they talked about how, you know, they treat every customer special and unique and you're not just a number to us yet. It was an email that went to several thousand people. Yeah. So, yeah. It, well, I think so that, they weren't actually doing it. Right. So I think the, the key and you talk about it, but, but it's still the hard part because this is not what, you know, many people in the online marketing space talk about, is that it still boils down, especially if you're in you know, B2B, relatively complex sale, product sale, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, it still boils down to a person talking to a person. Absolutely. And so your online marketing is all about putting yourself into the position of having that conversation. Yeah. And once you have that opportunity is, is doing the things that I, <laughs> that I teach people and I talk about yeah. on this show is, is how do you optimize the value you can deliver in that moment? Because then that will guarantee you get another moment to optimize value in, and and yeah, it's if this reliance on online marketing, you know, distances us from from the customers, and that's that's not that's not the key to selling more of a business product. Uh, maybe on a yeah. transactional that may work, right. but on a business product, and and I, I just you know, you had a, a good quote toward the end of the book. You said, you know, on one hand, we are. A quote, we were connected with more people than ever before thanks to the power of computers and online networks. And at the same time, however, those computers and networks keep us physically isolated from the people we're interacting with. Yeah. And that sums up the problem. This is We need to use these tools to overcome that isolation to put us more frequently into the position where we have a person talking to a person. And if we're not doing that, then, yeah, we're not using these the right way. You know, I, I think, too, you can even just think about what you, in simple terms, a couple of things. You can think about what you say to people in person and say, could I model that online? I mean, if I, what do you say to someone when you see them at a conference or, you know, um, could that be what you sent to them in an email? You know, why do you send the sort of boilerplate, my company provides top novels, several services, blah, blah, blah. And, but you would never say that in person. So why is your first contact by email going to be different? <laughs> that's, that's, what you, that's what you think. I mean, the problem is. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Yeah, I mean, I guess on a telephone, maybe if it's a cold call, they're saying that sort of stuff, but certainly not walking up to someone. And I don't know, maybe, maybe, um, but I think just trying to think about how you act with another human being yeah. is a starting point. You know, And the other one I tell people too is just start watching and seeing what you like. So you're going to get, we're all going to get 500 messages in our inbox today and we're going to like five of them, right? Um, and we're going to respond to, you know, 20, uh, you know, but five will really like chuckle and respond back and say something and think about what those were like. What, what, what was it? How was it communicated to you? And start thinking if you could do that with someone else. Um, one of the arguments we get all the time about online marketing is that, uh, well, it's it's more efficient, it's uh, it's cost effective, and then we see somebody spending twenty thousand dollars a month on something and getting no business out of it. And said, well, what if you just turned that around and started putting all those resources into sending something nice to someone, and getting to know somebody better, and you know, treating people right? Um, it's not like you don't have any money to spend. It's that you're just forgetting what you're trying to accomplish with it. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. Well, Bill, unfortunately, we've run out of time, but uh, yeah. great conversation. So tell folks how they can find out more about you, when your books could be available, and so on. Right. The official release date, uh, I just got it, is February 20th. Um, so it'll be available uh, on that day on uh, on Amazon. Um, you can pre-order it now. But I put together a, a page right now for folks to go to immediately that uh, are intrigued by what we've been talking about. Um, at uh, The website for the book is Sand. C-L-I-C-K-S-A-N-D dot net slash accelerate. And we've got a little page there. And what I did was I put up chapter five, which is the chapter that goes through in detail all the ways that the online marketing can damage your business. Because I think a lot of that is really eye-opening for people to see, oh, gosh, I didn't even think about the fact that that's, that's it's doing that to me, right? Right. Um, so that's up there. Just go ahead and download it. And um, I'm, you don't have to put your email address in. I'm not going to put you on some email list. Uh, I just want people to get the chapter. And if they like it, great. We can talk more. Um, and there's a discount. Uh, code there. Um, you can sign up to get a discount when the book is released. And then if this resonates with anyone and they want to talk more, they can schedule a call with me. So that's Perfect. Great. Perfect. Yeah. All right. Bill, thank you. And friends, thank you as always for joining me today. Make sure you come back for the next great episode of Accelerate. Uh, until then, if you get a chance, go to iTunes, subscribe to this podcast, and leave us a review. We'd really appreciate that as well. So thanks again for joining me. Until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Hey, sales strategists. At Revenue.io, we're not just imagining the future of sales. We're building it. We offer the world's most complete platform for revenue teams, and we're featured in the most recent Forrester Waves for both sales engagement and conversation intelligence. With Revenue.io, you can slash call prep time to seconds, guide your reps in real time to have more successful conversations, and after calls, we generate ready-to-send recap emails so sellers can keep deals soaring toward the finish line at light speed. See the future of sales now at Revenue.io.